Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. As right on cue, the aeroplanes go overhead. Welcome to Nice. I'm Alfie Reynolds and I've got Will Kelleher and Stephen Jones alongside me. We're at your hotel, boys, before we all head off again into various different locations at the end of the second round of the Rugby World Cup. We're back poolside, although... We can't actually see the pool this time because there's a, there's a big uh, hedge in the way. And also, the weather's kind of turned a bit, hasn't it? We're late September and it's actually now slightly feeling like it is. Because it's been a sunny weekend, hasn't it, down it, in Nice? It has. It was bloody roasting last night, though, in the stadium. It had never been so hot all my life. In the Nice stadium, the heat rises. So if you're in the back row, A, you can't see, and B, you lose about two stones during the game. <laughs> but, um, Some of us no, needed to, I think. Oh, well, I did, definitely, yeah. <laughs> After a big weekend in Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we've got loads to get into, as is always the case, boys. As I say, the end of the second round of the Rugby World Cup. We'll talk about wins for for England, for Wales, for Ireland. But I wanted to start off the pod, actually, just quickly asking you whether it was almost a bit of a weekend of contrasts. We looked at the fixture list ahead of this weekend, and other than Australia, Fiji, and we will get onto that, probably not too many fixtures that, that really grabbed you. And on the one hand, we've got Fiji, Uruguay, Portugal putting in some brilliant performances and suggesting that that gap that we're always talking about yeah. is closing. But then on the other hand, we've also got Namibia, Romania and still some pretty heavy scorelines with the All Blacks and South Africa beating those sides. Yeah, the thing is, if after this tournament, we, we deduce that three or four of the t- ex-Tier 2 nations have come through strongly. That's about as much as you can hope because they're still chronically underfunded. Uh, Namibia are just a, a team in the wilds, really. Rugby Africa is a shocking organisation, and they always come up with Namibia. Well, they need to come up with someone else or, or to fund Namibia properly. So it's reasonably encouraging, Alfie. 
from, from tier two nations. Portugal were an absolute dream to, to watch. Uh, far more attacking minded, far more spontaneous than, than were Wales. Uh, we're going to come on to Fiji in a minute, but that was just a great, one of the greatest things any of us have ever seen. It's good news, not across the board, but at least it's something. So I was meant to be at France-Uruguay on Thursday in Lille. So listeners would have heard us last week talking about Latouke. So us lot who are following England, that's where they're based, right up in the far north in Calais. And it's a bit of a nightmare to get in and out. Lovely spot, but hard to travel to and from. So I was meant to be in Lille, but there was a threat of a plane strike classically French <laughs> during the World Cup so we actually moved our flight so I then came down to Nice earlier so missed that game we were watching it in an Australian bar um, in the old town of, of Nice on Thursday night and at the point where about an hour in or so Uruguay were coming on strong I was thinking oh I'm, I'm kind of missing the biggest story of the World Cup here France losing to Uruguay but then the French came through I mean it's all that was awesome to watch and then Steve and I were both at Wales Portugal as you just mentioned Steve and Portuguese were awesome, weren't they? The full-back was brilliant. Like Martins, the seven, that no-look pass from the line-out for their try. It was just a joy to watch, wasn't it? I, I tell you what, it's also put, put their coach, Patrice Lajiske, who was a bit of an in-and-out winger, it's put him right at the top of you know the next coaching job on the ranks because whatever he's done to Portugal, he's, he's marvellous. He, to build them up like that and to make them competitive up front is one thing, but to leave them with the licence to play is another thing. And it's funny because Wales is always a great, talented rugby nation. In terms of speculation... And really taking risks. Portugal were way ahead. Wales sometimes look like, like a bunch of, not stuffed dummies, but a, a bunch of robots going up and down in straight lines. That was just amazing contrast. It was Nuno, Nuno Sosa Guedes, Guedes, the fullback, yeah. who was a sevens player. And you can tell, like the way he was stepping and running from the back, it reminded me, Alpha, you'll know this, I'm sure, that. Do you remember that rugby game, Rugby 08? Of course. On the PlayStation and Xbox and all that. He, it was like those sidesteps you do on that where you flick the controller. He was just running rings around people. It was amazing to watch. Put your fastest player at 10 in, yeah. in those games, wasn't it? And I, it's interesting you mentioned Rugby 08 because I thought it was a throwback last weekend with George Ford kicking drop goals at yeah, the time as yeah. well. But, but anyway, final thing on, on those sorts of games, boys, and then we'll get into the pod in full. I've just written down in my notes... Thank goodness for Fiji. And we're going to come on to to Fiji, uh, Australia a little bit later on and then also look ahead to that Wales-Australia game, which is now absolutely massive. But I kind of look at this World Cup and you look at the two best games so far, the ones that have been, I think, really exciting, and they've both involved Fiji. No Fiji, no fun. They were awesome. Are you going to sing us the uh, We Have Overcome, Steve? (laughs) It was funny because the old... um I can tell you, I maybe shouldn't admit this, but I can tell you in the English section of the press room afterwards or during the game, it was like the, we, we were all just flown in from Fiji, where we, which was our de- uh, the island of our birth. Thank goodness for Fiji, who will kick themselves that they didn't really play that well against Wales. Um, but they've they got a whole new way of attacking. They're taking the ball off the top in the line-out. It's in the midfield before anyone anyone's moved. And then the midfield have got a, a, a space of like... T- eight, ten metres to work in and putting three people up who are all running in different directions. It's very difficult to defend against and it proves you can play attacking rugby and first place rugby and, 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 and I think they're rewriting the attack book which was torn up by England as well as uh, turning world rugby on its head. And also 
they were brilliant attack and actually bungled a couple of chances that they probably should have scored. There was one wide pass that went into touch and things like that. And as you were saying, Steve, a lot of us enjoying that game had our heads in the hands going, oh no, they're not going to bottle this, surely. But the defensive effort in the last 20 minutes was absolutely extraordinary. I think Fiji won 11 turnovers. Yeah. Which is, I'm trying to check if that's a record, but Tuasova, Bottier, the Jackal penalties were ridiculous sensational they needed them as well didn't they 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 did and we should we should while we're celebrating open rugby in the feast we should not forget that that was the key moment that was the the breakdown turnovers was the key to the game amazing Uh, and the rest in a way was just additions you know i mean god the agony fiji for some reason i don't understand they took off the only people in the lineup they could lift (laughs) so you had six lifters in the lineup and no one to lift (laughs) It was like hoisting a bloody huge carcass up in the air. <laughs> and suddenly their, their lineup went to hell. That was agonising. But somehow, in the end, they got someone aloft and they, he, he won two lineups. Oh, that was awful. Yeah, I say that the, pe- the turnover penalties were key because there were elements of it that was almost a, a blueprint in how not to try and close out a game oh, for Fiji. And but they, it's, they, well, they completely lost their set piece. They weren't kicking all that well, but... They got the job done in the end. Just a final word on it, Will, and then, and then we'll get on in, yeah, into so England. The other bit where I think lots of us had our heads in the hands was, a, was about the, the two-minute kick tennis bit <laughs> with like five minutes to go. And you're just like, get the ball off the field. What are you doing? And it was kick, 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 kick. But in hindsight, they wasted loads of time doing that. And Australia sort of lost their way and couldn't find a way out there 22. But And even at the end, Steve, there was... Uh, they won the scrum penalty that would have ended the game, kick it out, but they were determined to try and deny Australia a losing yeah. bonus point. And then even then you're like, imagine if they... Hit the post. Hit the post, yeah. Aussie run the length. Nagano, Juanita Wasse does it or something. Just we like, were screaming oh. at them saying, no, no, get the ball up, get the ball up. <laughs> Actually, then you think, well, if it had gone over, then you got an, you're denying Aussie a bonus point. So yeah. maybe they're not, so, they're not so harebrained as we think. Bonus that. point, Paul, just very quickly. Like Wales taking a bonus point, which they should have done, but only got there in the very last play of the game with Falatau. That's going to be really important because... It's a bit early in the morning to go through all the maths, but there's a way where Wales, Fiji and Australia all end that pool on 16 points each, and the next sort of qualification is head-to-head record, and in that scenario they would have all beaten each other, so that is out, and so then it's points difference. So Wales not thrashing Portugal might be a big problem if the mm. others do, essentially. And you mm. say it's too early in the morning to do the maths. What was it, 2 a.m., Will, you got back? Oh. Steve, Steve, I think, was up until 6 a.m., you told me, Steve? I can't confirm that, actually. It's rather embarrassing. So, uh, I don't think it's embarrassing. I think it's impressive, No, well, I, I didn't mean to be like that, but uh, my, one of my colleagues was flying home and... Uh, we celebrated his departure. Can I just say that, like, the, we were talk, joking, joking about the late nights last week. We're not out drinking all night, lots of us. It, like, it is a nightmare getting away from these grounds. And right. people who've come out to this World Cup will probably hear our pain. So, like, Nice, well, Marseille was a shambles last week getting in. Getting out was okay because you were kind of in Quite the town Quite close to a bit. the centre, yeah. But Nice this week... You, you exit the ground and it's if people haven't gone it's kind of out of town there's a shopping centre type place near it and one tram stop and yeah. the trams come every five minutes or so but don't take enough people basically and some went the wrong direction last night 
we have some media shuttle bus that went completely the wrong way for some people so yeah i was trying to wait for the media shuttle bus that took ages to turn up didn't i think didn't turn up after the wales portugal game i've heard from okay, people good. that tried to get that so actually there has been a few maybe just kind of minor organizational things that i have got as a few negatives which we'll leave to the end of the pod because I yeah. think so far okay. it has been overwhelmingly positive but boys let's let's move on uh, in this pod we're gonna chat about england two wins from two but still big question marks over their attack i've spoken to elgin alderman who was at Wales-Portugal to look back on that result from Saturday. And we're going to look forwards because coming up this weekend, two huge games, Wales against Australia and Ireland against South Africa. Plus, we'll name our God or Goddess of the Week and, as I mentioned, a couple of negatives as well. That's all coming up on The Ruck. So England 34, Japan 12, a scoreline which doesn't really tell the full picture of the game. Will Keller. I was, I was just going to say, you actually reading that out, I went, oh, right, yeah, 34 12. I yeah. sort of forgot that it was that convincing on the scoreboard. In the end. In the end. It's. Where do we start? Okay. Are we not just so. I was so disappointed after last weekend in that England showed something. They, they weren't great, but they had adversity with the Curry Red card. They showed a tactical flexibility to play a game that got them out of that. And I was thinking that's something to build upon. And it just felt like, certainly from an attacking point of view, there was just so little there. They didn't kick on. So I find, I've not been covering England anywhere near as long as Steve, but I found the last four years absolutely maddening experience covering England. And not all because it's negative necessarily, but... They're just a nightmare to judge completely. So if we spool back to the last World Cup, they made the final, played very well against New Zealand, one of their greatest ever performances, you'd probably say. 2020 season, COVID disrupted. They won most of their matches, but playing some of the most boring rugby we've seen and got panned for it. So then they go away from it a bit and start losing. And so everyone goes, no, no, you need to win. Eddie Jones loses his way, sacrifices everything at the altar of the World Cup, which England are then ill-prepared for because they can't string together any sort of form in the Six Nations or the Autumns. They get a sort of win against an average Australia team away from home, but then Eddie fails in the Autumn and he gets sacked. So then the context changes of about this World Cup. Borthwick comes in, new coaching staff, new way of going, free pass for the Six Nations because it's all a shambles. Then August goes so badly that lots of people, including myself, say England could easily get knocked out of the World Cup pool here because they're that bad. Then they come to the World Cup, win with 14 men and find a way to win cleverly against Argentina in a game that they were underdogs for. And we all were last week going, fair play, well done. Then they come to this week against probably the second best team there, Paul, maybe Samoa on the rankings, but let's see. And they bungle eight chances in the first half and attack. Johnny May doesn't touch the ball until the, f- the very last play of the first half, but they score four tries win and they're now nine points from ten in the pool and i'm just sitting here going i don't know how to judge them at all steve it's a, help it's, a, it's um <laughs> it, 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 look it, you have to win your pool games obviously it is not a strong pool it's, it's not the most feeble pool i've ever seen but it's certainly not the strongest there's no other big fish in it to test themselves argentina were, were supposed to be but they weren't Ironically, we wait all this time for the two tries. The first try came with the most disastrous Japanese defensive lineup in the history of the sport, where they mucked it up four times in about three seconds. <laughs> then you have one where, where A. Will Stewart knocked the ball on prior to it being headed 
by uh, great flick on uh, to be fair great flick on <laughs> absolutely ludicrous it's great fun for us and funny but ludicrously fortunate and and those were the two of the tries now one or two things were better I thought Marla and Sinclair carried with more conviction they carried almost with the conviction of, of the Japanese I thought Mitchell struggled at scrum half a little bit but at least he does have a certain electricity about him but they continue to ignore Manu Tulangi because for some reason he's, he's just there to fill up a jersey. I mean, they're not launching him from close range over the advantage line where he's impossible to stop, and they've given up on that. They've totally given up on counter-attack from the back, as of every other team in the world, incidentally. So we're left at the end with Steve Borthwick coming in. God bless the bloke. You know, we don't know if he if he's saying what he really thinks, but saying, "Oh, we've got a great team," and "Oh, it's uh, when Farrell and Ford come back, it's not a problem. It's a great way of great strength and all that." And yeah, well, Steve, you, you you're speaking well. Do you really mean it? If you don't, I still admire you for for saying it. But we, I somehow think, will at the moment we are not past. What's that thing you do in Monopoly? Not past go. go. We are not. We have. We have not passed go with England. We're all. Yeah. They're all out there playing. We're all out there watching. But so far, nothing has happened. So the attack was a thing we dominated our coverage in last week, and there was context to it because they had fourteen players in the field, and you can tell why they won't maybe go too wide to the wing because if someone gets isolated, they literally have fewer people to resource the ruck, as people say. But in this one, they had a full complement, and it seemed that. Their moves were very, very telegraphed. I thought Japan defended pretty well, but they can't. England have this usual setup where they have a pod of three with, let's say, Ben Earl or Carl Sinkin in the middle, and they either carry it forward or throw it out the back to forward or another player like Daly coming around the corner. And they basically always passed it back to the guy coming around the corner. And, and so Japan just ignored the forwards at the front and mm. just sacked forward behind or whoever got the ball. And then the one time they did try and go through the front door with Manu Tuolangi and Joe, um, Joe Marchant, they dropped the ball. And then in the second half, they, they did get some line breaks. Ben Earl made a break, Daly made a break. And then they sort of get to a position where they don't know what to do next. It seems that their structure is completely gone. And there were points where Ford would get the ball at 10 and look for someone to pass to and then go, oh no, there isn't anyone there, so I'm just going to have to kick it. And th- there was a point where the England players said they didn't hear it, but... There was, there was a definite booing from the England fans in the ground. There was a huge for aimless booing. kicking. There, there, there was a huge booing, and it was at the, there was a, there was a time when Japan came back, so it was very very close indeed. And actually, you just thought, blimey, me, they're wavering again here, as the, as they do in games, they are wavering. And that was at the time when, well, they, they desperately needed a try, but Japan could have scored in that in that in that little sequence of play. And there are times in any game when England suddenly start to waver and they wait to say, well, who's going to take us out of this? Usually it's a big hoof by Ford or a drop kick. They lack tactical direction. When things are going badly, they don't know where to switch to. What I would say is that, so, Ford are positive again. Ben Earl was pretty good. Ford's left-footed cross-kick to Freddie Stewart is a lovely piece of skill. Whether you like kicking or not, that was a very nice one. Yeah, um, but... And it's, it's again, it's almost like a f- philosophical debate with England, isn't it? Because we've all got friends and family members and whatever in the crowd and at home. Like my girlfriend's sitting at home going, we didn't really bother watching the rest of the game because it was so boring. We went to bed. It was late on a Sunday night, couldn't be bothered. I've got a mate in the ground who was like, well, win's a win, but it was dire to watch. I know Alex had a friend who was sitting on the other side of the ground saying, like, England have gone back to being boring again and rubbish. Like, they reverted. So, but it... 
But if you're the England team, if you're Steve Borthwick, and if you're lots of the players standing talking to us afterwards, they're going like, well, I can kind of understand them going, well, what do you want? Because when we were trying to play a bit more and we're losing, you were saying, win the games. And now we're winning the games. You say, oh, no, no, but not like that. But the, so it's, a, that, it's such that a hard true, one, isn't it? They have lost the old one team, one nation thing. They've lost it. Um, Alfie, you were saying that where you were, you could hear booing and there's been booing in almost every game and were like on, on the packed um, tram coming back people were elated but the, just from beer horseplay and mucking around rather than from, from, from no one was really and I could hear was saying oh, did you see him he played well or he played well we, we did that well I, I think it's a symptom because I think the team has lost the nation back at home as well but th- and the RFU a, have lost the nation there's so. another thing too I think here where so South Africa who are the world champions were absolutely pilloried last time for being dull as dishwater and they won the World Cup and they played very very well one and a half games in that World Cup they lost to New Zealand they beat the minnows in their pool very easily they went through Japan the easiest quarter finalist in hindsight even though Japan had beaten Ireland and Scotland won an arm wrestle against Wales they won an awful pig of a game desperate game against Wales with a jackal turnover in the 76th minute from Francois Lowe and then they absolutely took England to the cleaners deserved to win the World Cup so I'm not saying England are anything like that at the level South Africa were but it's just an interesting thing of all you have to do is win games at a World Cup and sort of the wider context of that doesn't matter does it I don't know like well, does I, it I think you're you're right to bring up the kind of moral question of of what would you rather in sport because speaking to a few fans after the game there was some that were saying well you know it's just about winning and others saying I'd rather we get knocked out in the group stage or a quarter final and we play more entertaining rugby than what we're currently watching at the moment so what about so here's a question I've been pondering over breakfast this morning so I think that was Fiji's 15th win ever against a traditional tier one opposition three of them have come in the last four or five years one against England one against Australia one against France's second team in 2018 I think it was and so Fiji stereotypically and truthfully are one of the most entertaining teams to watch and always have been but they don't win a lot of games and so if we're putting an England context on them do you say well you know just go to the line out a bit more kick for territory a bit more stop messing about and just win the bloody game whereas and they did do that this weekend Mm. but you just go okay but oh no but we quite like Fiji throwing the ball around and having fun and being a bit mad and daring but they don't win a lot so I I feel like it's almost about it's so hard to judge this isn't it if Fiji in in hardly any of the games you mentioned would ever have had more than five of their top team out for various reasons they wouldn't have been released or anything now now they have we're now realising what we missed by the murder of tier two finances and 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 the lack of power to them but we know realizing what we missed the one conclusion uh, where we can make at the moment is that england are nothing remotely or nowhere remotely good enough to win a big match against one of the big teams and that is the thing that i think is in people's minds all right we won today good for them but actually we're still what 35 points short somewhere and that would be my response as well to the whole question of of what would you rather i think it's fine if you're say an ireland or a south africa and let's say they play a game at this world cup where they don't play well they get an ugly win they've got kind of the back catalogue of performances to know that when they get to the biggest games they they can produce something whereas with this england team now it feels like we haven't had that probably since 2019 arguably in terms of that sort of performance so this is a 
an embryo of an idea, so I might get panned for it. Um, so apologies, fans, listeners, whatever else. Um, but I'm thinking this England team, on based on tiny evidence, remind me slightly of some of Gatlin's Wales teams, where they basically got the best 15 players they had on the pitch, and they didn't have that much else. They won Six Nations by hook or by crook, Grand Slams by hook or by crook. They were fantastic in some games, they were terrible in others, but were really, really difficult to beat. Dragged lots of games into the mud against teams that are better than them, outlasted them, outgritted them, outfought them, and never went away. And they were so stubborn and difficult to beat. And England kind of remind me of that on very, very, very small evidence. And I suppose the different context, as Steve kind of mentioned with the Fiji thing there, is that England always get judged differently, and rightfully so, because they've got so many players, so many clubs, so much resource, so much talent everywhere. Whereas these countries are talking about, Fiji would be together for five minutes, apart from this yeah. World Cup. Wales have got three million people in the whole country, let alone playing rugby. The, the, and they've got four regional teams that are desperate. So like England are always judged to a higher standard. But I think I can understand, is what I think I'm saying, why the players go, all you've asked us to do is win games, and now we're winning games, and you're saying... We don't want you to win them like that. Okay, that's a fair point, but I will, till the day I die, and any other journalist around this pool, I should hope, will base uh, England on where they should be in the game and where they never are, and they are huge. Now, now, now the unions back home is is fighting amongst itself. They had a really bad uh, run of, of games, and I think we should still keep them to where they should be in world rugby. Until they get it, well, we'll keep on their case. Can I just add one last bit of context, which maybe is a reason, another reason why England rugby fans are frustrated, is because the England football team, a very likeable bunch of guys who've reconnected yeah, yeah. with the nation. So true the cricket will. I know, yeah, and I was just going to say, and then the cricketers similar, and the cricketers play an incredible style of sport, don't they? That's so entertaining and slightly Fiji and mad, but that Ashes here is incredible. They've won the World Cup. They might go and defend it here. So in the two sort of other main sports, you've got a really joyous experience watching an England team, and the rugby is nothing like it. It's funny. It's so funny, isn't it? With two wins from two and top of their pool, but there's still just this kind of malaise over them at the moment. The final thing I wanted to mention, actually, on, on the attack, and we don't necessarily have to expand on it, and I know Steve Borthwick spoke about after the fact that, well, the attack is the part of the game that takes longest to develop. That kind of doesn't stand up after the weekend we've just seen, where you've got Portugal and Uruguay showing some attacking shape and attacking mm. ingenuity that is far better than England and they have players that aren't even necessarily fully professional that was kind of one of my big takeaways really from the weekend as a whole boys we better leave England there there will be plenty more chat of course over the coming weeks on England they're in a good position now in fact it'd be amazing if they didn't get out of the pool from the position they're in now let's see if they can build on it but I think as we've said Already, it's all a little bit underwhelming at the moment. So that's enough for England. Up next, uh, I'm going to speak to Elgin Alderman. I caught up with Elgin after the Wales-Portugal game. Wales getting the victory. In fact, similar fashion to England, really. It was a bonus point win in the end, but not all that convincing. My chat with Elgin coming up next. Okay, so catching him before he dashes away from Nice and back up to Versailles, Elgin Alderman, our reporter with the Wales team throughout the World Cup Elgin, we spoke to you last week after the Fiji win for Wales. And again, just kind of looking at Warren Gatland's response to the victory over Portugal, 
saying job done tactically maybe not quite as astute as they would have liked to be but but they got the win in the end is there kind of some parallels there between both of Wales's opening fixtures I think if you look at it as a whole if you'd offered everyone in Wales 10 points from the first two matches they'd have bitten your hand off because everyone came into the tournament thinking that they weren't even the favourites to beat Fiji and then if they lose that then Lord knows what could happen afterwards so if you look at just the performance of against Portugal they fielded 12 changes it was supposed to be 13 but but Tommy Reffel withdrew shortly before the match with Jack, Jack Mardigan so it ended up being only 12 but in that respect everyone in the squad has now played except for Henry Thomas who has been having some tightness in his hamstrings so you know Warren Gatlin made it very plain that he was giving everyone in the squad a go against Portugal making all those changes and from all those changes came you know, a, a big lack of cohesion which is very similar to what we saw with with France against Uruguay on Thursday you know Ireland against Tonga they came in with a with a first choice team almost there or thereabouts and as a result there was a lot of familiarity there and they played very well but whereas here you know Wales took the slight gamble of running the changes and thinking that they would still have enough and when all said and done, they did have enough and they, they snuck the bonus points at the end. So even though it was far from a classic uh, Welsh performance and they only snuck the fourth try against the team that is the, the lowest ranked team in their pool at the very end, they achieved their basic aim, which was getting five points because it does look like bonus points might be a key factor in this group with, with Fiji and Australia obviously vying with Wales. So yes, while it was not a classic on Saturday afternoon, that team will not play again uh, and we'll see lots more changes before the Wales-Australia game. you probably see it go back to the, the team that, that beat Fiji in that, in that thriller. So that'll be the message from among Wales. It will be, we move on from that. We've got 10 from 10. Now we face Australia. Yeah, Wales 28, Portugal 8, the scoreline. Uh, you mentioned him there, Jack Morgan, not supposed to be part of the starting team. Tommy Reffer with a slightly tight calf. Was that what Warren Gatlin said afterwards? Yeah, he felt a bit of calf tightness in the warm-up. Uh, th- there had been concerns over Reffel's fitness because even before the Fiji game, he had he'd suffered a slight uh, incident in his calf and he was seen wearing some, uh, some, some, some strapping around that area. But, but he was okay to, to take on Fiji off the bench named in the starting 15, and yet about five minutes before kickoff, it was decided that um, he, he wanted to play, but it was decided it was best not to to pick him. So so Jack Mardigan, who wasn't even supposed to be on the bench, came straight into the starting 15 with Tane Basham staying on the bench. And six days after he captained Wells against Fiji, Mardigan played the entire 80 minutes and was named man of the match. So yes, he went from thinking he was going to have a nice rest to, well, he was certainly sporting the scars of, of rugby war afterwards on his face. Um, he, he'd gone through the mill yet again, and he'll have eight days rest now to uh, to go again against Australia when you'd think he'd be back in the captaincy as well. Scored one of the tries as well. We, I think it says an awful lot about him, doesn't it, that, to be able to do that as a player. You said earlier that it wasn't a classic, and, you, and you're right, it wasn't, but Boy, did Portugal play their part. I don't think anyone expected this scoreline or this game to be quite as close as it was. What did you make of them and their performance? They were great. You know, it's 16 years since their first appearance at this World Cup. And at the Portugal team announcement on Thursday, you had you had five players up there with the head coach, Patrice Lajuskay, and they were all talking about how they were inspired by the 2007 squad that also came to France and performed that team back then was 
almost entirely amateur playing in Portugal. The team now is about half, half of them are based in France, mainly the second and third divisions, but professional leagues with, with Mike Tadger, the, the hooker, playing for Perpignan in the, the top 14. But you saw with the likes of the fullback, Nuna Sushaguedes, he was actually one of the ones that Thomas Appleton, the captain, Point, pointed to during that press conference to say, you know, he started playing because of what happened in 2007. And Nuno isn't one of the players that plays in France. He plays in Portugal. And he, he was among the, the players that really captured the imagination of the neutral. He he made that lovely sidestepping break to send Nicolas Martins up upfield for what looks like might be Portugal's first try. But sadly for Portugal, Talupe Falatao showed he was fully match fit and, and chased him down over 30 and 40 yards and, and hauled him down. But, you know, throughout the team, you saw great invention, great heart. And, you know, they scored a great try of their own with with a no-look tip down from a line-out, which, which was great to see. So uh, definitely appointment viewing whenever Portugal will reappear at this tournament against Australia, Fiji and, and Georgia. That was a great moment as well when Portugal scored. You felt, even at that point, you felt like it was probably a little too late for them to, to mount a comeback. But just the the atmosphere in the stadium, the reaction of the Portugal fans. I was sitting with some Portugal fans for the game and they were so into it the whole time, fully behind their side. That was one of those kind of, and not in a condescending way either, but a great moment at a World Cup for them. Absolutely. There were huge amounts of Portugal fans around around Nice. There were a couple down in, in, in my hotel in the morning and you saw them you know, walking around Nice in the fan zones and, and even though there were lots of Wales fans walking around singing, it, it really was a sea of red because the Portugal fans were wearing the same, same colour too. I mean, I don't think many people will, will realise that actually Portugal are, are ranked 16th in the world. They're, they're the highest ranked, lowest ranked team in the pool, as it were. So even though the likes of Romania and Uruguay have so much history with World Cups having featured in so many. Portugal come in ranked higher than them, one place above Uruguay, above, you know, Namibia, Chile. And so they're, they're, they're probably better than people maybe maybe realise, especially with that, that core of players that do play for the likes of uh, Bézier, Narbonne, Colomier and in the second and third tiers of, of French rugby. And yeah, it was just a great performance. The type of performance that makes you... The, the World Cups need because you don't just want to see what happened with New Zealand and Namibia where it was you know seventy one three that the days of hundred and forty points like we saw twenty years ago are are seemingly long gone but you you do want the likes of Uruguay and Romania taking it to these these much changed favourites and and we've seen that in the space of three days we've we've seen them both do so well and and you know France didn't even get the bonus point against Uruguay whereas that's why Wales will be so happy that they snuck theirs at the end. Perhaps what this weekend needed as well in that a lot of people I think looked at the fixture list and and thought there weren't maybe quite as many exciting games we could see quite a lot of blowouts but actually as you say from what we've seen so far and we're recording this on Sunday morning before those fixtures but there's been some really entertaining games even though the ultimate winner was probably what we expected also on the fullback was it Nuno Sousa Guedes is that the correct pronunciation he'll surely get snapped up now by a club higher up the levels I would have thought this is exactly the sort of spotlight which could see him earning himself a bit more lucrative contract but you're right he was brilliant actually the reception he got when he went off was was excellent as well to shift it back to Wales and to finish on them as we say job done 10 points gained out of a possible 10 two wins from two any kind of little negatives to for them to work on I think the big thing that struck me was once again Warren Gatland looking at the quotes from him after the game suggesting that they play had tried to play a little bit too much in the early phases and that was also something against Fiji where they noticeably kicked it more after half time is there 
a little bit of tactical naivety or, or struggling to execute the, the best game plan in the opening stages of games at the moment? It is possible that you know, taking on two teams that do like to throw it around a bit, and obviously Fiji aren't as you know, willy-nilly one-handed offloads as, as their reputation holds, but they have the ability to do that, of course. And in the build-up to the Portugal game, the, Wales did describe Portugal as a, as a mini Fiji in the sense that they like to, to throw the ball around a bit. Portugal sort of laughed at that suggestion on Thursday. They were saying, you know, Patrice Lajuske was saying, yeah, well, we don't have Joshua to us over or, or <laughs> Sebi Randrandra to, to run hard straight lines at people. But it is possible, you know, that Wales have gone into this game and have sort of been sucked into the, the, the enterprise of the match that their opponents has, that, that their opponents have shown. And again, you just have to look at what's happened and Wales have taken the bonus point win in both games. Now, whether against Australia, you'd think they won't be sucked into that same kind of thing because Wales-Australia will be more of a, a big Titanic test match between two of the, of, of the big nations of, of world rugby. You know, as I said, there, it's, it'll be a reversion, you'd think, to the, the team that took on Fiji, possibly with Dewey Lake coming in at hooker because he, he, he missed out in the first game because he just wasn't quite ready after his, his injury against England. But as we've seen thus far, you know, even if there has been tactical naivety, eight tries, ten points. So on a, on, a, on a macro level, Wales can be very happy that they haven't actually you know, played at what could be their best yet. So heading into the Australia game, what well, at the moment for Wales is, is looking like their toughest game in the pool. Do you think they'll be pretty happy with where they are? As you say, they've rotated their squad. They have put tries on the board and, and they've been able to build into this tournament for that match. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as you said, we're, we're, we're speaking before before they face Fiji so we won't I don't know we don't know exactly yet what uh, what they need to do but it does mean that there will be only a seven day turnaround for Australia and and if Fiji do to Australia what Fiji did to Wales and make them go through 253 tackles then you might have a you know a stage where Australia are going into the match quite tired whereas Wales's first choice team are going into it with a with a bit of rest and knowing that they're going to have 13 days after that before they play Georgia as well so that there won't be any fears of, of them being tired for the the next game after that but uh, yeah on, on that game will will whether Wales well, firstly, go through at all, but also if they do go through, whether they go through as the winners or the runners up in the pool, it'll all hinge on next weekend in Lyon. Uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be an absolute classic, hopefully. Elgin, you better go get your train. We'll catch up with you later on in the World Cup, no doubt, on the ruck. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So good to catch up with Elgin Alderman once again before uh, he had to get the train on Sunday morning. We were recording that, as we mentioned, before Australia-Fiji. And the result in that game with Fiji's victory has blown that pool wide open. And Wales-Australia this weekend, boys, is now one of the fixtures of the World Cup, as we hoped it might be when we got to this stage. So good, isn't it? Just got no idea what's going to happen, which is the best thing to go into a sporting contest with, whatever sport it is. 
tell me, Will, as a uh, news investigative journalist, <laughs> is uh, Tupo going to be fit to play? So Eddie Jones has said that um, both Tupo and Will Skelton are not going to be available, oh, which is a massive blow. Uh, Ta- uh, that tight head of the scrum not being around. absolutely colossal. That is colossal. That's almost like Gatland having to go home for a, for a kid's Christmas party or something. Um, th- that is colossal. And... Um, I made way, I make Wales uh, ten point ten points behind Australia till I heard that. Now now I make them really really close, and uh, Wales have got a great chance in that game. They really have. Wales could knock Australia out, almost almost knock them out. Which mm. it's funny, isn't it? It's uh, the World Cup takes a while to get going sometimes, but then very quickly gets difficult for some teams, doesn't it? I mean, Australia have only lost one game, but because of the other results, if now they lose to Wales and lose badly and don't get any bonus points or anything like that, they could be gone. It's but fascinating with Australia, isn't it? Though with Owen Slot had a piece in the paper today as we we're recording this on a Monday about Eddie Jones's selection once again. You had a young guy in Carter Gordon in obviously a huge game in a World Cup, and you totally didn't, not up to it. You, when you, and you didn't have Quay Cooper hmm. or Bernard Foley, your two most experienced fly halves, to, to come off the bench. Can I sorry, pull back the curtain slightly? Bernard Foley is in Nice. Have you seen? I've him? I've seen him at least twice this weekend. The word is that he's essentially waiting in case they need him. But he's not being given a definitive answer as whether he could go home or not. So he's just sort of in France. So he's not wandering with around the, team, the old port and the old old town of Nice and all that, and just sort of waiting for a call up. Maybe he maybe he'll get one. But because Eddie Jones has put a whole load of the bar, the players with the barbarians in case there's an um, injury or whatever, and he can have someone closer. And we've seen the benefit of South Africa having their World Cup winning fly half at Leicester Tigers just to jump over the channel who's now replaced Malcolm Marks in the squad. The classic Andre James Pollard. Lad. Andre Pollard, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, changing I hooker for a 10. I would have, um, I would have bought Bernard in anyway. The problem is you've got, you got some great Fijians in their team, Karevi and Korobeti, who are, who are playing, who've got the same talent as the current Fiji team and not, not being given a chance. There was a lovely, um, sorry, just on that, there was a lovely tweet from Nemani Nadolo who rightly pointed out that everyone who scored a try in that match was a Fijian. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. I, I, I thought in patches, Australia were dreadful. I thought, wow, I thought they were going to become a better team than this. I don't think Wales are that great either, but Wales have got some improvement in them. Falatel being back and fit is, I mean, Toby always leaves it to the last second and the dramatic charge, but um, for him to be fit and he looked fit is massive. I also think that there was a big advance from Johnny Williams in the centre, who's a really, really competitive animal. Whether or not he starts, I don't know, but I think they're, 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 they're developing into a tough bunch. No, no backup scrum as usual because only their top line scrum's any good. Lineup's okay, and I think that if they kick on, they're probably still going as underdogs. I think Wales can Wales can beat them. They might not need a massive scrum, like as we just said. If Tupo and Skelton are out, which it seems they are, Fiji were taking them to the cleaners in a couple of scrums. There, Angus Bell's a good prop, but he can't play the whole eighty. No, he can't play both sides. And both sides. I mean, Slipper was playing at three, wasn't he, and yeah. went yeah. off, yeah. but. The other thing, I suppose, is both teams have got a couple of electric wingers, don't they? Nagano Juanita Wase for Australia and Reece Samet. Um Josh Adams will probably come back in and play too. So they, they've they got finishes out wide. i tell you what, they, 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 they are electric, but one of them doesn't know what the earth he's doing on the rugby union field. I mean, <laughs> he just happens to pop up now and again, and I think they'll kick to him. I think they kick a eye above his head. 
and, 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 and chase. To the Australian winger, is that, Steve? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the guy who came from Rugby League. Vunivalu, yeah, yeah. who's yeah. changed from NRL. He came on. Anyway, so, so it's, it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, obviously, it all happens up front as usual, but great match, great chance for, for Eddie to revalidate himself and for Gats to go out with a bang. You was know. it Eddie, Eddie six defeats from seven tests? Yeah. Not great. It's not great. It, I mean, it's going to be a brilliant game. There's going to be a couple of brilliant games. Ireland against South Africa is the other one, which we always knew was going to be brilliant. But <laughs> these two teams coming into it's it. Ma- it's mammoth. And it's yeah. actually, it was mammoth when they did the draw. It's double mammoth now. And it's treble <laughs> woolly mammoth. mammoth. It's woolly mammoth. <laughs> and huge mammoth. Herds of mammoth. Because, because of the way both teams, sometimes when they get to the World Cups, they don't play so well. Ireland have played really well the other day. South Africa uh, got that ironclad arrogance about them. I just think it's going to be a magnificent game. It, I really do. And a magnificent occasion. You look at the match-ups across the field, which we often, as a bit of a newspapery device, but we often have to do like three key clashes for the weekend. And you could do... 23 key clashes for the weekend, yeah, couldn't you? I mean, yeah, you yeah. think about yeah. Porter and Furlong against Kitsoff and Malherbe. You think about Dan Sheehan and Bongi and Banambu. That's only just the front row. Sexton against Libok or Pollard. You've got Colby against Mac Hansen. You've got Bundiaki against Dialende. Like, it's just sensational all over the field. It's going to be amazing, isn't You've it? You've also got the kind of... I know South Africa are more than just the strong defensive and set-piece team these days, but you've got kind of the brutal physicality of that South African defence against what looks like the most cohesive attack in the yeah. world over the last few years. Who but, had Bundiaki as leading try scorer I know I did so I, knew, I, knew, I knew he'd do it <laughs> I knew he'd do it before it. he even joined Ireland <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the, they, they have got little edges now though South Africa they've yeah, got no, edges they here and there you know and, and I tell you what it's, it's, I've seen every World Cup it, apart from the finals I sense this as the biggest match I ever played in a World Cup apart from World Big Cup cool. finals Big cool well, 1v2 in the world in the pool stage doubt, doubt that's ever happened off no. the top of my head. The other thing here, and we mentioned him, Andre Pollard has now been called up as many suspected he would be. What South Africa do at fly half is fascinating, isn't it? But Surely they don't play Pollard straight in. Like I he's played 20 minutes off the bench in the Prem Rugby Cup. I don't think he goes straight in, but maybe later in, in this tournament. Unless they 6-2. Because as good as Libok has been, he's a brilliant player to watch. Goal kicking has been probably the yeah, only yeah, yeah. issue for South Africa. Yeah. And at some time... In these big games or a knockout game, you need someone that is reliable from the tee. And we've seen Libok, Fafta Klerk, Willemser, all of them not quite being accurate mm, correct, enough. Correct, Alfie. I can, I can see, yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because we all have this sort of vision of Razzie and Jacques Ninard but just sitting there plotting and plotting with their traffic lights. And, their, and just from miles out, you thought, well, Pollard's definitely coming back somehow, isn't he? And he, he comes in for the hooker. So now they've got Bongi. Is the only hooker, only specialist hooker, and then Dion Ferry, who plays usually back row, but has played a bit of hooker, and would, sometimes Marco van Staden. Yeah, would would Ireland just go? To, I mean, it's it's a bit um, not very sportsmanlike, is it? Not very rugby, but Ireland just go for the hooker, go for Bongi and Bernambi, make it your mission. Well, that's when that's when it all falls apart. Bongi gets injured. What are you going to do then? Put Andre Hooker. Andrew Pollard Hooker, I don't think so. <laughs> but they, I mean, they've got the, these back rowers who can play hooker, but. Ah, they are not though, like when you're playing the best team in the world. Having a six at hooker is not ideal in a no, World it's Cup. Not. You can't. There's something incredibly maverick about some of their choices, haven't there? Being a bit like having four scrum four nines yeah. in, in their 23 for the Romania game, which you can get away with against Romania. But yeah, when it comes to this sort of match against Ireland or a knockout game, which 
they may well get to then yeah you know the, the Alfie's great thing when you're the world champions you hand down these pronouncements from uh, from the coach's box everyone thinks blimey this is really revolutionary thinking actually a lot of it is complete rubbish <laughs> and but, but because they who they're who they are everyone thinks oh this must be really good why didn't we think of that the, the other the, just on the the weekend as a whole so those two wales australia ireland south africa it's a really obvious thing to say but completely flip everything about the the next bit of the world cup depending on who wins it so at the moment I probably well before the tournament I think I said South Africa would beat Ireland but I mean that's a big call to make at the moment but so then France are going to top their pool because they beat New Zealand so whoever comes second it's a, it's, it's, it's playing huge, France huge in the quarter final it's huge for the quarter final and then it? that obviously then affects the semis and then you've got the Wales Australia Fiji pool the lose, the second team is probably now going to play England um, which England I think will be hoping isn't Fiji yeah I, yeah I, I was going to try well, and do a piece think, on that today don't you think that we've, we've, all, be, we've all mocked the draw but actually there are aspects of the draw that should play that's amazing yeah if you're not a fan of the teams in the left hand side of it it's amazing it's, it's amazing. so good it's staggering yeah. like, there's going to be there's going to be one quarter final that's on paper it's a bit of a good game anyway but that on paper is not going to look that amazing because it might be Argentina Wales or Samoa against Japan or something like that but all the other ones are going to be absolutely stacked it will be brilliant boys I can't wait for it next weekend we'll obviously have a, another ruck on next Monday looking back on those fixtures and as Will's just said the quarterfinal lineup, the potential semi-final lineups, could all look very different following those games uh, next up we'll round off the pod I've got a couple of negatives to go through not too many and we'll also name our God or Goddess of the Week Okay, so we'll finish things off. God or Goddess coming up in just a moment. A couple of small negatives, boys. I said I would leave them to the end of the pod. I was here in Nice kind of part for work, part as a fan this weekend. So I was at Wales, Portugal as a fan and went to the England game uh, in the media. And one negative from the fan experience, this was something that happened in Marseille as well, that we arrived into Nice on Friday night and the fan zone was closed for the... You couldn't watch the New Zealand-Namibia game there. And also we had it in Marseille last week where the fan zone was closed for the opening game of the World Cup. What? The, the France-New Zealand one. got booked out, I think, there by was some, some VIP event. There was some private event on. And it was just one of those things what? that left me scratching my head, really, about kind of the, the organisation uh, We of talked things. about the, the slight, well, very much chaotic situation at Mar- in the Marseille Stadium last weekend. And I do feel like, like I've only been to um, three games because I've been largely following England, so I need to be where they are. But there's just sort of a general sense that it's a great fun World Cup, but there's, there's all sorts of rough edges around it. And yeah. yeah lack of organisation and... Some of the kids on the bars have no idea how to pour a yeah, pint. Like that sort of thing it can take ages no, to get I was a chatting beer. to some fans on the tram to the Nice game with England on the Sunday and they were just saying, I, my parents had some tickets and so I was getting them to the ground in the tram and they were sort of advising, having been to the Wales-Portugal game, saying like, look, when you're in the ground, just don't bother trying to get a beer. Our mate missed the whole first half because they just take forever to pour you a pint. Yeah. And these the, seem like really minor things to maybe people that aren't it's here, just but, rubbish it, experience, but, it, but it makes isn't it? a big impact no, for the fans that are out here. Things. Especially that's, that's when why you have World Cups to get little details right. Especially yeah. when some people will have paid a lot of money, like yeah. two hundred plus pounds for a decent yeah. ticket, and then also adding on all the flights and hotels, where it's extortionate because it's the World Cup, and you just think it's just not a great experience at all these grounds. And actually, lots of them aren't 
often rugby grounds, like the ones I've been to are football grounds, but you think in some ways they should even be better, shouldn't they? If they're hosting Olympic Marseille and they're hosting OSG Nice all, all Champions the time. League games yeah, and things. You think yeah. surely they could have worked that out a bit better. But it's, uh, it's been a theme, hasn't it, of the first couple of weeks? Alfie, you're right. It's, it's rough around the edges and they should get it sorted. I mean, to close the fan zone, it's ridiculous. I think where it affected us was that World Rugby gave us these great... Uh, water containers that, that are actually recyclable when you finish them. It's a great idea. They're big white ones. We all stuck them in our bags for, as the tournament freebie. They were confiscated by the security at the, ga- at the games in Nice. Were so they? W- they were confiscated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some people managed to get them in, like Nick Kane managed to get his in. On, they, were, they were confiscated. It caused a lot of hassle for no reason. And that is something where a small detail, but it's 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 a sign of other details mm. not going right. But then the irony of it is that when you go through the gate, there's lovely sort of games makery type people who go, "Oh, make sure you get your water bottle. We've got yeah, free ones." Yeah, and you're like, yeah. "Hang on, that just got nicked off yeah, me and thrown in a bin outside." Mm. The so, one the yeah. one other part I was going to mention actually, having been in games in Nice this weekend, was just the empty seats as well. It yeah, looked to me like there was so even at the England game last night some real blocks of five thousand short of capacity. And I don't know if that's and not a big ground, thirty five thousand cor- ground. I don't know if that's kind of corporate tickets that. That, that you know, people don't turn possibly it's hard to, Wales fans who just had to buy the package, the Nice package for the weekend, which is how they initially sold some of the tickets, and then just thought, oh, I'm not going to bother going, or it was the only way to get into the Wales games is to buy both. Maybe I it mean, just, it was a waste of money. It but. looked like block tickets to me, which is yeah. why I thought maybe it's yeah. corporate ones. But yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting it, object, you can't observation. You can't not sell out a weekend. World Cup game. I mean, come on. No, well, it, you, you don't though. I mean, there, there is a huge history of blocks uh, empty blocks and people say and it turn, turns out it's Adidas's clients or it's whoever's clients it is so um, I, I don't think it tends to be bad they've not been spectacular but I don't think they've been too bad fair enough I mean it has been a great World Cup but I think it's just a few details like that that yeah. I don't know certainly being out here that you maybe notice let's round off God or Goddess of the Week I want to launch into this because I was so impressed with Portugal's fullback yeah I thought Nuno Sousa Guedes was sensational the sort of performance on this sort of stage that you wonder whether he'll have some bigger clubs in Europe coming knocking and offering him a a, a contract I thought he was absolutely excellent part of a Portugal side that was brilliant that attacked with real threat um, and was just a a joy to watch he broke that game open at times mine is a joint award and I'm not having any argument that it's a joint award because I can't split Josh Tuasova and Levani Bottier can you imagine I think they're probably the two most scary players that you could ever come across. Ridiculous. All of us have played at varying levels of rugby and there was always that moment where when you're a bit younger and maybe certain people in, I don't know, a school team or whatever developed it earlier than you and you sort of go, oh, right, it doesn't matter. The bigger they are, the harder they fall, all that stuff. And you just go, yeah, but they look really big. Your man. (laughs) Tua (laughs) Silva is absolutely ridiculous and Bottier is more, more ridiculous. And there was a lovely, there was a funny tweet from um, someone I saw over the weekend being like, because uh, Bottier was a prison warden. And it's like, if all prison wardens were like Levani Bottier, there'd be no crime anywhere in the world. Yeah, there'd be no <laughs> escape. But like the turnovers they won were extraordinary. They defended so well. Tuso actually got slightly lucky with a couple of naughty tackles, but the pair of them are unbelievable. And to think neither of them played against England when, they beat, when Fiji beat them at Twickenham. 
Could have been really bad, that, couldn't it? Steve, your god or goddess? Andrew Brace, I think, not often to go to a referee. If you look at the history of games between what used to be called Tier 1 and Tier 2, you could go back, you could go back years and years, and I swear you wouldn't get more than 1% of those games where the Tier 2 team was not penalised more than the Tier 1 team. It happens all the time. And to be fair to Andrew Brace, he didn't believe in the fairy tale that, oh, it's only only the cheating Tier 2 teams that, that could possibly offend. And I don't, I've not rated him till now. I thought he was wonderful. I thought he had a magnificent game. 18 penalties Australia conceded. Can't be doing that, can you? You can't win with that sort of statistic. I think Will's plane's landing. You better head to the airport, <laughs> Will. That is very loud. Jack? Head uh, back up to Latouke. Steve, your movements this week off to Paris? To Paris to- tomorrow, yeah. I got an important lunch with a senior figure in journalism today. Then um, I'm go- he's not at this table, I can tell you that. And, um, oh, I thought you were going to buy me lunch. <laughs> I, I, and I'm going to Paris tomorrow to... Uh, and then to the Fiji camp for a little while and then back for the big win on uh, on Saturday I'm back up to Latuke um, we're recording this on Monday today so one of those planes overhead will be mine later today and then a few days there back with England reunited with my big case which I've left up there that's got jeans in which I don't haven't needed yet and then over to Lille a new new city haven't really been to Lille so Sounds two good. games there well I'll be flying into Paris at the end of the week looking forward to the Ireland South Africa game and of course then Wales against Australia in Lyon on Sunday as well going to be brilliant boys pleasure as always catch up next week lovely, lovely. Nice one. Thank, we'll find it. another pool for this do they Thank, have pools in Lille they must do yeah I'm sure they do thanks everyone for listening just a reminder as well that we'll have the next episode of the How to Win the World Cup series with Will coming out on Thursday and this time Lawrence Delalio and Owen Slot yeah coming out duo so, who's Lawrence Delalio he, didn't he used to host this he did once upon a time before I came did I put him off it could have been you could have been me as well before I started it's very good though and it's all about their book Boys of Winter that's out now there's their third extraordinary amount of plugs for that book but no it's a good pod we enjoyed it didn't we Alfie yeah so how to win the World Cup with Owen Slot and Lawrence Delalio out on Thursday we'll be back with another Ruck next Monday thanks for joining us 